Hey, it's Vadim. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to leave us a review. It's incredibly uplifting to see people say nice things about you, even partially nice things. It's been a while since we've asked you guys to do this, but in the show notes, the first link you will see is a link to leave a review. And this not only makes us feel good inside, it also helps other people find our podcast, which is cool. It's good to grow our audience and our community. Today's episode is a bit of a departure from what we normally do. This is a conversation that we had with Josh Doran, who is the the band leader for one of Ben's bands, The Fading Light. We've talked about The Fading Light before on the podcast. They recently released their debut album. It's a culmination of a lot of years of work for, for Josh specifically, but a lot of work for Ben as well. And we thought it would be fun to have a discussion with Josh on his songwriting process, the recording process for the album, how the arrangements come together, what it was like working on an album over the course of you know, 10 years, I think, is, is what it ended up being. And a lot of interesting tidbits came out of this discussion that we hope you will enjoy we had a bit of a technical issue. I think Josh needs to maybe listen to our podcast more. or <laughs> Either that or he sent me the wrong file. But uh, the file, the audio file I got from Josh had all of our audio. So it was him speaking. It looked like he had a microphone set up, but I don't think this is the audio from the microphone. I think it's audio from some other device. So this is where we talked about audio interfaces on a recent episode. I think Josh wasn't capturing the audio from his interface. He was capturing the audio from something else and the audio quality suffered as a result. And you hear also Ben's voice and my voice through our uh, video chat. So it's a bit of a mess. I tried to cut it together the best I could using uh, a variety of things. So it's going to sound a bit disjointed at times, but I do kind of introduce sections and segments. There's a good discussion, uh, always interesting to hear about a songwriter's creative process and about some of the technical challenges of recording a full band, especially for a project that spanned as long of time as this one did. All right, enjoy the episode. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, so pretty much our whole episode this week is a DIY showcase. This is uh, The Fading Light, which is, again, not quite a DIY showcase because Ben is a consummate recording professional, and he recorded this in his studio, Dream Loud Studio, and he also did all of the mixing for it as well. Actually, I can't remember if he did the mastering or not or if they uh, outsourced that, but in either case, we are going to feature one particular song, which is called On My Own. And here's a clip of that song. I feel an awful familiar burning and it is pulling me down with its weight. I have been here before I remember the sound. I'm wondering if it's misfortune or if it's just me.
talk more about this song and the production that went into it during this conversation but to start we just wanted to ask josh about how it feels to be done with an album that took two years to come to fruition and also about the early days of writing the songs and the band itself so he gets into some topics including some some early recording tech where people and myself included would just plug stuff directly into the line input on whatever audio card they had on their computer and hope for the best. So here's Josh on that. It feels, it's, it's actually a little bit surreal, if I'm being honest, because like, so I've been working on this, the album that we just released, the first song that I wrote for the Fading Light in general, like for the whole project, I would have wrote it back in like 2008, maybe. Wow. Maybe 2009 at the latest, I think. Um, and it was just like a bare bones. It was just me like playing my acoustic guitar and singing and like, I want to say five or six of the songs on the album all were that for a while. Mm. Um, and then uh, I got together back then with uh, my cousin who was, he learned how to play the drums to play in the band. And nice. then, that's uh, cool. I had some like, I had like a high school friend who played the bass and then another guy that uh, we became friends with who played piano. He was like a keyboard player. We didn't even have an electric guitar player at the time. And then uh, we eventually did get a, uh, an electric guitar player for a couple of shows, like right before we ended up disbanding to go to college. Mm. Right. So then I went all through college, not really writing a lot of music, maybe like a little bit here and there. And then after college was done, I had a little bit more time to focus back on music again. And I wrote a few more songs and then I was, so this was kind of like a thing where I was doing it with like my family and my, my friends. And it was kind of like a hobby, just kind of like a thing that I did because I enjoyed it. Like I liked to write the music and I wanted to uh, play it in front of people because it's fun to play live, but it was more just like a thing I would do for myself. Right. Mm. Most of these songs actually like a lot of the times when I write these songs too, they just kind of exist in my head for a really long time and then like getting to the point where i can actually take out this cd out of a package and like put it into my cd player in the car and hear not only what i thought i was listening to in my head but something better than that like this album totally exceeded everything that i thought it was going to be when i was first writing uh, and like putting together demos for this music. This would have been back then, like back in 2009. I was using Audacity, right? And like, just like a plug from a regular microphone right into the like mic port of the computer, like the eighth inch mic port. The latency was so bad that like, I would have to play the click and then only play that track and nothing else going on. And then I, you'd have to do the whole song all, all at once because, the you know, like, and then if I tried to play along with this, the other guitar part or like the drums or whatever, it would be, you'd be so far off by the time the end of the song came that there was no other way to do it. The way, the way to get it lined up was to mute everything else and just play this to the click. And so that became a real weird thing to do because like I would, I would play the drums with my keyboard, the, just the drum parts, like the bass and the snare and the toms once for the whole song and then i have to go back and just do the symbols 
and hope right. that I remembered what I played on the drum part so that the cymbals would line up in such a way that it was like realistic. I can't believe that I spent the time to actually do it back then, but it was kind of like, uh, you know, when you're trying to express something and like the passion would grab me and it still does sometimes yeah. when I come up with something good, like I'll drop whatever I'm doing. And now it's easy because like, I'll drop whatever I'm doing and just plug my guitar into my DAW and go to town, record it down. And then I've got it and I can let it go a little bit. But back then it was a lot harder to do. And I would kind of obsess over things a little bit too, you know, because like it would take so much time and effort to just get anything down into a way that I could listen back to it. Right. That like it became, I, I would have to obsess over until I was done because I knew that if I would walk away from it, I would just be dissatisfied. Right hearing it on the album polished with all of the tracks in place and everything happening all synchronously, you know, the way that it's supposed to be. Right. Mm. Because like my writing style involves a lot of interlocking rhythms. I was trying to explain to my mom what I, I, I call like a whole band riff where it doesn't yeah. really make sense unless everybody's playing because the bigger mm. picture is really what the riff is. Right. Um, it's kind of like a symphony, like everybody's playing like an individual string part, but it only makes sense whenever it's all together. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We have quite a few songs that are like that, uh, on my own is one of them. Um, and it's like, uh, I, uh, I started to evolve into that writing style. And so to see this, like, uh, all and, and to hear it like very perfectly synchronous. Right. And it sounded just like in, in my head. Right. Like that's really cool. How many years ago to like uh, over 10 years ago. Right. And, and, and I'm like listening back to it thinking like, this is better than I ever could have imagined it. Like it was, it was wild. And not only that, but Ben, you're like, ex you're, you're extraordinarily talented at oh, thanks, ben. mixing and mastering process because like even listening back to the raw mixes, like remember when we like first went over it all right and you're mm -hmm. like here's a raw rough mix just with it with everything being kind of like leveled and i was even then i was like wow we also asked josh about some of the arranging process uh, specifically writing in different keys and how the band and having a band midway through the process contributed to the arrangements that ended up on the album here's josh on that so t uh, tonight on the album is in f standard tuning. The difference to me listening to it in that key versus uh, down a half step, which is what we play live, is monumental. Like, mm. I think it sounds so much better and more energetic and warmer at that higher mm -hmm. key. It does. I agree. You know? It just, yeah, it gives it a different different vibe. But well, one we, thing I wanted to ask we you... We stay in the same tuning in live because it's more practical. We did very few as a band or even as you since I've been a part of the project very few arrangement changes. And so I just kind of wondered from a songwriting perspective, did the songs kind of come together uh, pretty quickly for you in those arrangements or did you do a lot of tweaking over time to get to uh, the arrangement that you wound up with? It depends on which song you're talking about. Something really complex like I Will, that song was, it's not, not like it is right now, Matt actually did an arrangement change when he joined the band for that song that I liked better than what I had in there before. So like that bridge part where it goes, oh, what a lonely place to be in. That part, it used to have, the drum part used to be like a shuffle almost. 
It like did this weird like hmm. kind of bounce back and forth. And it was supposed to represent something back when I was like writing it. Like it's supposed to feel like it was supposed to feel off kilter, kind of like uh, everything meant something in I will when I wrote it. That's like all the parts are extraordinarily deliberate. You know, there was this weird shuffle part that was supposed to make you kind of feel off kilter because the song is about being apart from the people that you love. Right. And like in the bridge breaks into that guitar solo where there's like the steady four on the floor bass drum beat. It's it was supposed to be this like signifying of, you know, we're feeling like a part and it feels weird and I hate this. And all of a sudden it resolves into this wonderful crescendo of like, you know, if you need someone, I'm here for you what it was all it was all supposed to be part of this thing but matt came in and he was like yo i'm gonna bust this out with this great rock beat and put it in there and i was like that's so much better i don't know what <laughs> you know what i mean it was just like yeah. I, I didn't even question it when he did it i was like please don't stop doing it that way yeah but so i to give you some reference i will took me maybe four months to write in to the way that it was the harmonies most of them were exactly the same like those ones that you were singing were the ones that were in my head that I had never put down before, too. Like, you were, like, pretty much dead on. When, when I heard the harmonies that you were putting on, on top of there, Ben is totally in my head. This is crazy. And so that's, that's another reason it's wonderful to work with you, by the way. So in contrast, tonight, I wrote, aside from the arrangement changes that you made with that breakdown part in the second verse, probably in its entirety in about 30 minutes. The whole song, lyrics, everything. One thing that's always interesting is writing melodies and how songwriters approach writing melodies. Uh, this is something that I've struggled with myself. We wanted to ask Josh about how he goes about writing natural vocal melodies or vocal melodies that work for his voice. And he also gets into some of the advantages of not uh, producing or really not engineering your own recording sessions, which most of us do. And we're going to have to do that from time to time. But there's some some interesting reasons why we may not want to be the engineers on our own sessions. And then we also talk about molting sections or cutting up sections in order to get tighter performances. Check it out. That can be one of the difficult parts about, um, it's uh, specifically the way that I write is because like, even my melodies, I write a lot of times on the piano. And that's why mm. some of the songs have really weird vocal parts that are hard to sing. Because like, I'm not thinking about how, how am I going to sing this? I'm thinking about how does this fit into the composition? That yeah. Making, you know, I think you're better and the band is better for doing it that way. But I, I don't think everybody can do that, nor do I think everybody should do that. But it's just, it's interesting, you know, when you came into the studio to do a couple of these songs, I don't know if on my own was one of them or not, but I can remember one in particular where you're like, yeah, this is a really weird vocal melody I wrote on the piano. Oh, that's really what it's supposed to be because it's not something that, you know, you would naturally be able to do or think to do, just feeling it. I run into this a lot of times too when I'm writing vocal melodies, they just don't come to me that naturally. So it's, it can be a really cool thing to write it on a different instrument or even on guitar to like pull out a guitar and just say, you know, hey, let's just try writing a melody on guitar and see if I can sing that back instead of just trying to Sometimes trying to make your vocal cords do something isn't as natural as using something else. When I speak, I don't go all over the place when I'm, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, I kind of like maintain a relative center of my voice. Right. Mm. And so like, that's a much more natural way to not only make a melody, but to sing it. You have to be well-trained, which I'm not, 
to do, to do the crazier stuff. It's more of a building up my chops in order to do more interesting melodies, which the newer writing that I'm coming up with more recently does do more of that. You've heard that that um, that one song that I, it's in five that I've been writing for a while, and I'm getting a lot more experimental with my melodies. I'm a little bit more comfortable with my voice now, too. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to try to imitate somebody else's singing? And you can hit the notes that they hit, too, when you're trying to imitate their voice. And then if you try to write something on your own and you try to sing a crazy melody like that, suddenly it doesn't sound right. And trying to find your own voice is a hard thing to do, at least in my experience. I don't know if everybody has that problem, but I certainly do in, in finding like not only what's comfortable, but when I listen back to it, does it sound natural, right? You know, like it doesn't sound strained or like I'm struggling in some way. You know, when you came to me with a lot of these songs and, you know, I convinced you to do the vocals for On My Own and the rest of the album uh, at my house, I think that that was a real game changer because it allowed, you know, you had to be vulnerable about it. Mm -hmm. But the game changer was it allowed you to have some outside, you know, critical input on your voice. And it turns out that the feedback you got from me wasn't as bad as the feedback you were giving yourself. No, not at all. And also, it was nice because when you were you were you were hearing it, and you could tell me, "No, that take was bunk. Try it again." Right? I don't have yeah. to stop, listen back to it, say, "Oh, oops, try it again." Right? Or sometimes, like there were there were a few times I remember where I thought that I bungled the take, and you were like, "No, that was great," and I was like, oh, "Yeah, really?" You know, like you psych yourself out because you fail so often. Right. You know, like I'll do a take a hundred times here by myself. I can't tell you all the guitars and stuff that, cause I recorded essentially that whole album mm -hmm. aside from the, a couple of the bass parts that you did in your backup vocals. <laughs> yeah. Um, that like I would do those guitar parts dozens and dozens and dozens of times, you know, like I'd think like I'm not picking hard enough. I need to do, be more aggressive or I needed to pick softer or, you know, I, I wanted to add another little flourish in there that didn't get put in, or I did it on this track, but I can't replicate it for the, the other track, the right track and the left track. You know what I mean? Like there were so many things like that, that I would just get so frustrated over. And if I was just doing it in a studio with a tech that was listening to me, you would have probably been, you'd have been like on take three. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I'd, and I would have been done instead. I'll spend hours here frustrated and hating the art because of mm -hmm. the tediousness of the, of the, the technical stuff. You know what I mean? Or like I'll do a passage and be convinced that I can do an entire long passage when I probably should break it up into smaller parts if I really yeah. want to be that precise on my recording and which that's something that we did too. When mm -hmm. we were yeah, we like did. We, we, we would cut the, the verses up. Like I would do like all, the whole song and the things that sounded good, we would keep. And then we would go back and like redo the first verse. And I would do like the first two measures or whatever. And then the next two measures. And we would go through until we had the whole phrase that the way that we wanted it to sound. Right. And I'm not like ashamed to admit that that's the way that we did it in the studio because you know, that's what you do. We wanted a polished product. All right. In this next bit, we were talking about how to write songs that are engaging from start to finish, and also how you know when a song is done and you just need to let it go, let it be free. And then Josh also gets into some of the inspiration behind these songs and his songwriting process in general. 
but just in the songs overall, and you know, we're focusing on on my own today, but just in all the songs on the album, I think you did a really good job at picking arrangements that were interesting from beginning to end. And oh, thank you, I appreciate that. Not not very many feel like they go on too long. You know, they just keep you engaged the whole time, and that's tricky to do. That's really hard to do, and to be objective and let other people kind of pick with your songs, but I feel like we didn't really need to do too much of that other than a couple things here and there. I tried, I think that the structure of my songs speak a little bit about what they're supposed to be about and how they're, how I want you to feel about them too. You know, I'm yeah. trying to less, I guess, make something to listen to and more like, I want people to come on this little story that I'm going to tell. And it's like the music is the background and the, you know, the even the melody of the vocals is part of the background and then the words set the stage. And it's more of a, this is how I felt. And you know, as the music changes and the notes mix with each other, it's all supposed to be descriptive of something or another that I'm trying to describe, you know? And um, so it's rare that anything that is in any song is not put there on purpose. You know what I mean? And that's another reason that it's hard, it's, it's difficult to let it go and put it out there because I'm always thinking like, is that really what I wanted to say in this spot? There's always mm. something small that I can look at and say, that's not really what I wanted to say right there. And Ben has to be like, no, Josh, this is good <laughs> enough, let go. You know, and you know, you know what I mean? Because like, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I love uh, that, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so that, and, but that's all part of the writing process for me too, is this little kind of like obsessive loop that I get into when I come up with an idea and then I build upon it in, in different ways, maybe laterally, maybe vertically. And then, you know, I develop the next section and I'm all, and I'm always trying to make sure that all of the pieces fit within the grander scheme of the idea of the song. Right. So like on my own for example, since that's the one we're going to talk about, right? So it starts out with this kind of like, it's just the voice and the bass. And it's, there's, there's a lot of tension and it feels dark, mm. right? And I'm talking about this burning in the pit of my stomach, you know, and, and it's so familiar and I've been here before and I don't like this. And then the band crashes in and it's chaos, you know, it's frenetic. They're, there's so many things that start happening like immediately, right? There's that, the snare drum is going at 16th notes, you know, Matt's keeping that four on the floor, the beat's driving us forward and the, the guitar is going, it's like sliding up and down the neck and it's like really crazy because I remember Dylan say that he had to shoegaze during that song because like there's so much to pay attention to. He's moving around all over the place. Yeah. Ben, you're playing so many notes that I don't know how you can keep up with it. You know what I mean? And it is I'm, exhausting. And I'm blasting the four on the floor with these, these um on the acoustic guitar right and so and then when i start into the verse i don't know if you ever caught this by listening to the song but the song is is supposed to be reminiscent of like uh do you ever hear the um, i was thinking like the those russian guys that cross their arms and do the little the little kick thing way down on the floor you know what i'm talking yeah. about that little dance yeah it's like that, you know what I mean? That kind of like that, that like pulsing, like kind of like um, galloping beat, right? Yeah. Is like the main focus of the whole song. So if you take everything else away, except for the vocals and that, you would almost still have the same song. 
because everything is mm. kind of built around that like galloping beat that falls on and off the the pulse right and so like everything is built around that and then my vocals are also supposed to be kind of reminiscent of that same thing it was just kind of like the idea that i guess i had in my head when i started to play with it i was like oh that sounds like one of those russian songs where those guys do that crazy dance right and i yeah. just kind of like kept going with that theme because i thought it was cool and it's like fast and driving and chaotic all the way until you hit the chorus where it breaks apart and opens up and then there's even space in the vocals whereas in the verse i'm just like going 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 i barely take i can barely take a breath when i'm yeah. singing the verse of that song because it's so fast and i'm saying so many words and then like the the chorus there's like there's like i say left with all these words inside my head and then there's just like yeah there's just empty space just yeah. like empty space you know what i mean and it's like everything is all descriptive mm -hmm. it's all of the all of the pieces of what's happening for every movement of the song is supposed to be describing either what i'm saying or what i'm feeling yeah right and that's a common theme throughout all of my music mostly because i don't write unless i'm like feeling something right like the way that i write i like I very rarely will i ever sit down and say I'm just going to write something. A lot of times I'm trying to translate what I hear in my head, right? Like yeah. I hear this song in my head and I'll sit down and be like, I'm going to plink that out on the guitar or something and see if I can't get it out. I'm like trying to tease. It's almost like a sneeze, right? I'm like trying to tease it out so that I can get on the instrument what I hear in my head. And I currently actually, speaking of like right now, I've got like six or seven songs rattling around in there that every time I pick up my guitar, I just cannot, I can't get it. Yeah, And I think a couple hmm. of times that I've been down to see you, I've even tried to be like, yo, I've got this cool song that I'm trying to write. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like trying to play it for you. And it's just like, I'm like, ah, like, I can't, I can't describe to you what I'm hearing. Okay. We also talked about writing lyrics, a notoriously difficult thing to do. And Josh has some interesting takes on that. And also a nice thought on why songs are kind of like a time capsule. I'm classly like a classically trained musician. And so like I learned how to read music and I learned all the theory about how all this stuff works. And it would be just like me trying to write an, a, a, an article or an essay or a poem about a subject, about something that mm. I'm feeling or something that I'm, something that I saw or experienced. Right. And, yeah. you know, in, in, in this case it's I'm lucky because not only do I get to convey no, the feeling with the music, but I also get to write some words with it. But to come up with something that sounds eloquent without sounding cheesy and also yeah, describing yeah. what you're talking about, like, I'll be honest, it, like, that's that's one of the hardest parts about writing lyrics, at, at least for me. So, like, for I Will, right? Like, I hate the opening line of I Will. You have to believe I, when I say it will get better, you can move on with this with your life without this pain. And it's like, I'm just like... I can tell that I was like in my early twenties when I wrote that, <laughs> right? Because like, it's not, it's not wrong and it totally yeah. captures the, what I was feeling at the time. And it's, it's kind of interesting to look back on it like a time capsule. It's like stepping back into my own eyes again and yeah. feeling exactly what I felt at the time. But those words don't speak to me now the way that they did then. It feels right. cheesy and disingenuous. And it was more just that I didn't know any other way to articulate it. And mm. as I get older and I get better at writing and I become more, uh, and I become more well-read 
and I learn how to, and I have a, I expand my vocabulary. And I also care a little bit more about some things about those things. Like back then, I didn't care as much about that. That's very well evidenced by uh, I Miss You on the album. The lyrics are very simplistic. And they, yeah. you know, the chorus is literally just, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you over and over, right? And it's just like, that's, but that's how I felt. Yeah. yeah. Right? right? That yeah. is an accurate description and capture of exactly what I was feeling in, in that moment. And as simplistic and cheesy as it feels now, looking back at it from, I guess, the outside, quote unquote, like, it served its purpose. I won't write like that in the future. But it's there's a reason that I still included it on the album as opposed to some of the other ones that I cut. Well, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we are big proponents of releasing your music. You know, record it, do the best you can with it, finish it, and release it. And there's a lot of reasons why this is important. We've talked about many of them. Josh has a, a bit of a unique take on it, which I think is is very important as well. So check out Josh on kind of the, the feeling of recording and releasing music and why it's something that every songwriter should try. Yeah, I always thought that it was going to be this thing like, oh yeah, people find out that I write music or play music on the side or whatever, right? But now people know me as like a musician and they can go and look me up on Spotify and with my band of awesome dudes that can play this complex symphony, I guess, that I put together for these some of these songs, right? Like. It, it didn't become as it didn't become as real as it did when I moved down here to Pittsburgh and started working with you guys, because like now seeing what you guys are capable of doing, it opens me up to write more interesting things that will be more fun, not only fun for us, but fun for our listeners in the future. All right. Then we got into some of the technical bits on how to go about recording an album like this, which is an album with a lot of moving parts, a lot of musicians. And one of the cool things they did is actually record every part on top of the rough demo. So, you know, you have a rough demo that's complete, it's a rough mix, and then you basically record each part on top of the rough demo so that eventually you've replaced all of the rough demo parts with your uh, finished and polished parts. So check this out. When we recorded it, we had Matt in the basement doing the drums, all <laughs> mic'd up, and I think that we used the demo, like the original the demo, as like the the backing to like record everything i think you're right about that mm -hmm. yeah that was really helpful that josh had did a really good job with the demos because he recorded everything to a click and so it just made it easy instead of having to record scratch tracks we just used that and then jumped right into final takes yeah which is something that i would like to keep doing in the future actually when we do these things making i, I actually that's one of the things that i i learned from periphery was they said they do the same the same thing when they write a song they make like an actual demo of it and then when mm. they get together to do the actual album they'll go over all the, the parts and make sure that it still sounds the way they want it to and then just record over the demos and then they're and then they're done like everything is finished yeah. right and that was nice cuz we did pretty much exactly that we did all of on my own in a day mm -hmm. one day yep we got there yeah. early set Matt up downstairs that's the longest part is the drums for sure. In my notes here, when I was listening to the song, I spiked out kind of exactly what you said, which is that there's the sense of like release of tension going into the chorus. And 
even from a technical standpoint, I mean, you guys clearly did that through the arrangement. From a technical standpoint, I heard a couple of things there too, where you have this kind of like anxiety-driven, really transient, really crisp kind of acoustic guitar part that's coming from the sides and the electric guitar that's distorted is in the middle. And then when that chorus comes in, all of a sudden the distorted guitars go out to the sides. You got the background vocals that really fill in the vocals and there's kind of like this release of tension, which I'm, it sounds like that was intentional. And I definitely got that feeling. That, a little bit of that is the way that I wrote the song. So I will be honest with you. I don't know a whole lot of studio tricks. Uh, I don't really know how to equalize my stuff very well. Like when it comes to like mixing and mastering, um, I mostly just do a lot of like hard pans and stuff like that. So I will do a lot of types of things where when I record a song, I will do one guitar part panned like hard, maybe 90, 90 left and right. And then mm -hmm. the other guitar part will be like 60, 60. Right. And then right, right. what it does is it creates like a big full sound. And part of that is because I don't know how to mix. And so like, I do. It sounds it like you way. do know how. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But it, but part of it, but it's like, so in order to get those, that the, if to make it feel big to me and maybe make a statement in a different way, I add those things in hard panned in different intervals between left and right and like between the far the far sides and the center i guess yeah so like there are some songs where i will have a lot of different parts running at the same time and i'll do like one part is 100 100 and the next part is 80 80 and then there's another part going that's maybe 40 40 and there might be another one that's like 20 20 right in the middle right and then so i've got this whole big wall of like different instruments going all at the same time. So what Josh is talking about here is really kind of a process of rough mixing your demos, which is really important uh, for people like Ben and myself who do mixing. Uh, for other people, it's very helpful to hear those rough mixes because regardless what you do or don't know about mixing, just the decisions you make with volume and panning can communicate your intention to whoever is doing the mixing and mastering. So if you've chosen to feature a guitar part by putting it dead in the middle and making it really loud, even if it doesn't sound great in the context of the mix, that is still a cue for whoever is mixing it and kind of lets them know what to do. And this is a little bit about what Josh is saying here about rough mixing and uh, as, as a way to flesh out his arrangements and communicate what he's trying to communicate in terms of the atmosphere. And so we asked him to elaborate a little further on that. So when I'm looking to make like a big impact or a statement, you've got like tons of different parts in a big wall crossing the spectrum of the left and right, like the pan, mm. because that is, that's how I, 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 that's the only way that I know how to do it right now. I'm sure that I can do more tricks to make those big sounds and make it sound crisper and cleaner. Mm -hmm. But like, I just, Mostly when I sit down to do these things, I'm just, I'm writing. I'm not thinking about all right. of that stuff that goes yeah. into it. Yeah. So I'm just like, that's just the way that I do it. And it turns out that like, that does sound in the hands of somebody capable like Ben, like he can take that same idea of this big wall of pans and actually make it sound bigger and huger and more crisp right. and clean because you know how to do the equalization and all the different stuff that makes these different parts pop in the way that they should. Whereas sure. I don't, I, I'm like flat EQ for everything. 
I wound up in the mixing process, there's not any weird automation going on as far as panning goes. So everything that you're hearing as far as, you know, the stereo field is narrower in the verses and wider in the chorus. That's just the nature of the arrangement of the actual instruments themselves and what they're doing. So the cool thing about that is, uh, you know, we talk about on the podcast a lot about, you know, first principles and going back to, you should focus on the recording stuff to to sound the way that you want the mix to sound like at the end. And that's very much what we did with the song, Uh, even to the point where even the drums and the bass just the nature of, you know, both of us are playing 16th note riffs or grooves. Just the nature of it being fast meant that I can't hit those notes as hard and as long mm. and have them be as loud or as deep. So there's just kind of a natural dynamic to that that just kind of makes them sit more in the mid-range or not quite as loud or not quite as deep. And then when the chorus opens up and everybody has a chance to put an extra 10 or 20% into it, <laughs> then you get that that extended low end from the bass and the drums just naturally get louder even though I didn't have to like I didn't have to automate the the volume of the drum set to be louder in the chorus it just naturally mm. was that way because of the way that Matt was playing and uh even uh even the drum part is just all basically all snare drum and kick so everything is really kind of right up the middle and then it just allows the chorus to breathe a lot more whenever you know, even even from the drums perspective, he's crashing on a on a ride cymbal, which is panned, you know, to into the right field. So you're getting even more stereo image from the drums themselves too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So you're basically saying, look, a lot of that is driven by the arrangement. And so Josh kind of had that in mind anyway. And then yeah. you were able to just elaborate on that, right? And kind of polish it up. It almost to me when we got all the tracks recorded and I kind of sat everything and you know balanced everything and put everything in the the panning field. I was like, oh whoa, this is naturally happening. Like it kind of was like an eye opening <laughs> thing to me. Like, wait, I don't have to do any trickery here. This is just naturally. That's that's awesome. Here we talk about recording acoustic guitars and how you can get cool sounds by layering acoustic guitar parts on top of electric guitar parts. Did I put two microphones? on your acoustic one pointed at the bridge and then one at the neck i don't remember if i did one or two i think i did two i did my old school (laughs) i did my old school technique where i did the two microphones angled angled in towards the sound hole uh so one was kind of more capturing the neck and the and the the sound of the neck and then the other was capturing the bridge and the sound hole and then we also combined in the di line because that was the brightest and so I just kind of mix that in. I overlay the acoustic and electric parts doing the same thing. I like the tone that it makes, especially mm. with like a very lightly distorted electric guitar mixed over the exact same acoustic guitar line. It sounds like this warm, jangly, I don't know, but it, it, literally that's exactly like what we have in On My Own in the chorus that that like arpeggio is that. And I love the way that sounds. Towards the end of our discussion, we started talking about how to manage all of your song ideas and uh, ask Josh for some advice on writing songs. Josh has an interesting technique of recording all of his ideas and then reflecting on them over time to kind of do some triage from there on which ones are worth developing into songs and which ones can kind of be discarded. The best advice I can give to anybody who's trying to write a song is stop trying so hard. 
You know what I mean? Just like let it happen yeah. because like if you just if just dink around for a little bit, don't be afraid that it sounds bad. 95% of the stuff that I come up with is total garbage and nobody <laughs> ever hears it. And I have like, I literally have like videos on my phone here where I'll like set it up and I'll come up with an idea and I'll record it. And I like listen back to it day after day after day. And maybe like a week into it, I'll be like, now nah, that's garbage. I'm going to just toss it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, sometimes you gotta, you gotta like do that kind of stuff and like get your, get it out of your head, listen back to it and, and reflect on it and say, is this, is this what I want to say? Right. And yeah. then, like, that's, that's how I let the, the diamonds in the rough kind of like bubble their way to the top. Is, is that that's like that's the technique right there i guess it might it probably it's probably not going to work for everybody right but like right right getting like the best advice i can ever give to anybody is just like do just write garbage record it listen back to it <laughs> have the sense to say yeah this is garbage throw it away and also have the sense to hold on to the things that that are legitimately good and that are are really what you want to say Okay, and here we just wrap up by talking about the record, coming together, bring things back full circle, and where you can find the Fading Lights music. It doesn't feel like a record that was written over the span of a decade. It feels <laughs> very cohesive, and so kudos to you guys for uh, for pulling that together. It sounds uh, sounds like you went into a studio like back in the day and spent four weeks in there and you wrote and recorded everything in that four weeks. So congratulations, guys. It's a, it's a great accomplishment. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. And thanks, Josh, for coming on the show and talking very in depth about everything. It was been very insightful, even for me. And I know you and we talk about this all the time. So. <laughs> Make sure that you go to the fadinglight.net. Uh, there's links to all of our social media sites, as well as all of our streaming services. And if you are interested in buying a physical CD from us, you can get it at one of our shows whenever we do that again. But if you're interested <laughs> in getting one sooner than that, uh, we you can get in contact with any one of the band members and we will hook you up in some way. Very cool. Yeah, we'll post all that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, you guys are on uh, all the major streaming services, so people can find you there as well. Yeah, once again, thanks for coming on. And uh, listeners, if you guys out there want us to review your music and your song, then please reach out to us either through our community or you can reach uh, me and Vadim at ben at DIYrecordingguys.com or Vadim at DIYrecordingguys.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's work out at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. We'll see you next week. <laughs>